Hello everyone and welcome to this Nintendo Life episode 171. My name is NBZ and uh, I'm here with Bally. How are you doing Bally? I'm doing well. How about you? Uh, I'm doing all right. Feels like 2020 is literally the worst year in recorded history. Uh, things are not great. Um, things are bad out there for a lot of people. Um, and uh, yeah, I think, you know, we we can't in good conscience, like, do this podcast without addressing that stuff. Um, mm. And I think, you know, I, I feel like we make our stances pretty clear, like, politically uh, on the show and, like, who we're in support of and things like that. Um, and I, I cannot abide by, like, the horrendous things that are going on in the U.S. perpetrated by police. Um, uh, stand fully behind the Black Lives Matter protests uh, and everything and people going out there. Um, and just want to, you know, shout out everyone who is protesting, everyone who is donating and, and doing something. You know, even if you can't do any of that stuff, just educating yourself uh, and reading and, and listening um, is the most important thing. Um, and uh, And, yeah, we need to dismantle just the embedded societally structural racism and white supremacy that is just built into the very fabric of humanity um because of history uh that has not been addressed uh, in a proper way so yeah. how you feeling valley totally it's it's truly shocking um and the videos have just been um so revealing of a part of the story that you just don't see in other media there's something very revealing about twitter the ability to film what you yeah. see in front of your face and upload it and sure there's going to be some fake videos out there not denying that but when there's the sheer quantity of videos per showing very similar situations just over and over um like i've never seen aggression like that from a police force before and just the consistency that it's, it's multiple police forces around across loads of cities yeah um like i'm interested if there are certain police forces in certain cities that are much better behaved than some of like the stuff we've been seeing on twitter but i'm not getting that impression um and it's just really really shocking it's shocking the response from those in power is also incredibly shocking um scenes of trump holding up a bible like at, yeah what is this about like, what? Ba- basically getting the police to attack peaceful protesters to move them out of the way so he could walk across the street just disgusting right. absolutely just like at this time of great crisis we're gonna fall back on horrendous symbolism and yeah. drag along loads of the whole christianity at the same time it's like it's just it is unbelievable just to see that response and um sort of the uh the complete opposite response that was like shown by obama back when obviously he was president um and it it's very frustrating because it does feel like these things are going in the wrong direction not the right direction and i think yeah. the the unity that different websites that different organizations have shown coming out of this uh has been very impressive and the speed at which it's all happened uh, mm-hmm. and just the sheer strength of protesters to go out day after day in the middle of a global pandemic protesting when they people are now fully aware that uh you are very even even if you're a part of the media you're very likely to get 
uh, a shield in the face, a rubber bullet in the stomach, or like pepper sprayed, you know, uh, even if you're peaceful protesting. And that has been a common theme, unfortunately, like the last week. And that is really scary and is a really scary thing to be seeing in um, the United States, which has fought for so long in favor of democracy, freedom of the press, equality under the rule of law, and seeing those two things arguably evaporate in the space of uh, a couple of weeks is unbelievable yeah uh, i mean it's i i wouldn't say it's like evaporate i think it's no, just revealing no. the true nature of the systems that underpin the you know the structures of just western society just all society uh it is yeah it is truly revealing um, and i think you know stuff like this has happened in the past this is not a new thing right like even going back to 2014 and ferguson and things like that but i i think that as a society we have just become far more uh awoken to like what is really happening um and it is yeah um the thing that does bring me some hope is just the way people are banding together uh, around these causes uh, and against you know the system uh because it for the first time in a long time feels like there is hope for some change right like i i didn't feel like that with so many of these other things but it it is actually it feels like things might happen as a result of this and people are being persistent with it they're not just stopping at getting justice for the murderers of george floyd they are going beyond that and they're getting justice for other people and just trying to break down the system because it's not just about getting justice for individual bad actors it's about getting justice for the system itself and just breaking it down um and rebuilding it so totally so yeah that's what we'll say at the start here um if you can go and donate um if you're able to get out there and, and protest but um but above all else if you can't do anything else just talk to people uh, educate yourself and try and talk to family and friends and 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 try and get over some of their prejudices as well so could i yeah. plug a couple of places yeah go for it would be good to donate so me and caroline had a we're listening and we thought these would be the best places to donate like money to from our position like here in the uk uh one of those is to a nationwide bail fund uh, so this is in the us obviously and that money is split across 70 different bail funds across the country uh paying bails to help protesters in those communities um and then secondly uh, for those british listeners out there uh we've also donated money to a charity called black minds matter uh, okay. and it's basically offering a counseling service uh to uh, black people in the uk uh who just you know want to talk about everything that's going on and so it's a bit of money towards them so yeah black minds matter uh, and yeah the Great. bail fund that was promoted actually through obama's website um okay so definitely check out his twitter uh for yeah. he's he's got a really impressive page with just loads of things about what you can be reading where you can be giving money what you can be doing uh, regardless of where you are in the world um and it's really good to see the, the yeah. real president stand up <laughs> yeah yeah someone who actually someone can respect uh so yeah, and uh, I've I donated just to the Black Lives Matter organization, the main one, um, but also for our listeners, uh, obviously people like video games. Um, there's an amazing bundle on itch.io at the moment for people on PC, uh, where you get like 700 something games and you can pay $5, um, but you can put your amount above that. And I, I got that as well. So uh, yeah, uh, th there's loads of ways for you to help uh, if you can. Um, so get out there and do that. 
Um, and now for the impossible pivot to video games and Nintendo. Uh, cool. Well, Bally, do you want to uh, lay out what we're going to be talking about on the show today? Yeah. Uh, so we're going to do a slightly shorter show. Uh, two segments this time. We're going to be talking about the games that we have been playing. And then we're going to be doing talking through some emails that you've written in. Uh, we should also say we are going to be talking about our next backlog club uh poll that we will talk about at the end of this episode so look yeah. out for that absolutely uh be excited we it's been a while what was the last one wave race 64 we did and the last year for second half of last year i can't remember like october time maybe yeah uh, so it's been a while so we definitely we need to get more consistent with the backlog clubs but again you know things are happening in the world um and uh yeah so let's talk about video games uh nintendo video games and there was a big release that happened uh even though it is a re-release the definitive edition of xenoblade chronicles came out uh on the nintendo switch uh and if you've listened to the show you might know i'm a fan of that game <laughs> just a bit just a bit of a fan of that game um and, uh, and i picked it up uh and i am 36 hours into the main game and i am way further than i thought i would be for having put 36 hours into it uh, and i'm kind of wondering like why that is and a lot of people i've heard a lot of people on twitter as well say the same thing about they seem to be way further than they were when they first played it despite people the fact better that at video games in 2020 than they were in 2020 maybe I, I don't know and it doesn't seem like they've changed anything in terms of the pacing or anything like that it all is the exact like the, this game as a definitive edition loading screens <laughs> No, the loading was even good on the Wii, to be honest. Um, in terms of maybe one of the things, I don't know if this is true, but maybe if you're in a pause menu, it doesn't count the timer. That's the only thing I can uh, think of right. that might be a factor, but I don't know if that's true or not because I haven't tested it. Uh, but uh, this is very much just a visual aesthetic overhaul of the game. Uh, you see that most clearly with the character models, right? You've got uh, an aesthetic that leans more towards Xenoblade 2, but it still has that identity of the original, right? And what I mean by that is, like, Xenoblade 2 is much more anime in its uh, visual style of the characters, and this kind of moves towards that style, but the characters still look like they did back on the Wii. Um, Although, like, higher resolution, much sharper, generally. The characters are probably the best-looking revamped part of this game, because, honestly, the, um, the environment and the design of them is still pretty much the same they've just been up basically and i think that speaks to the quality of the artwork in the original that you can kind of just go in there and uh and, and make it look nicer and, and make it kind of stand out a bit more um and i think that's definitely you can you can see the comparison videos between the wii version obviously Bally, you played the 3ds version which I, I don't know what you recall of like how how impressed were you by it and by the world playing on 3ds because i've heard a lot of people talking about how just the the scope of it didn't translate very well to a screen like that yeah i mean i've not really played much or seen you play much of the wii version so i didn't have a lot to compare it to but i thought the scope worked fine on 3ds and uh i very much enjoyed that game i think it um it, it worked there were some rough areas but it didn't stand out as like a particularly rough game on 3ds so i would argue it's one of the more impressive kind of games on 3ds certainly in terms of scope yeah, and I think it's also 
hard to judge when you do comparison videos on youtube because it's taking the low resolution 2d image versus yeah. what you would actually see on a 3ds which is a fully 3d environment yeah we've always said 3ds games look a lot better in the in the flesh than they do yes. um on any kind of video online absolutely they do so uh so so basically i would say that overall it is a remarkable like upgrade to the game and I even you know, even back then when I came across like Machina Falls, for example, like it's breathtaking. The 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 thing that just strikes me so much and how Monolith are are so important to me as a developer is their ability to create scope and scale and just dwarf you, just make you feel tiny in this world that is enormous, right? And I think that leads into the themes of Xenoblade and kind of more generally JRPGs of like, hey, you're the small, you're the young farm boy or whatever from the small town and you've got to go out on the adventure to conquer the world. But I think Xenoblade evokes that sense of you're tiny more than any other series that I play. Um, it's just so good at making things seem enormous and like that is to the point where, you know, when I'm swimming around Erethsea or whatever for the hundredth time, like you just are pushing forward forever and ever like it's like minutes and minutes at a time you are really just moving through this world at a glacial pace um, and that helps i think with the tone of it because it is you know it's a game about uh, you know defying gods and and you know fighting uh for revenge and, and things like that it's a lot of tropey things that happen as you know but i think the groundedness that comes from it is because its characters are so good and it, and it does such a good job with them um the thing that I am going to say about the visuals is there is one thing I don't think they nailed, and that is the noses. My least, my least. Uh, <laughs> what What is your favorite type of nose in video games? Why 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 are the noses stand? Do they stand out so much? Okay, well, okay. The thing is, is that some of them are fine. Okay, I'm going to give you a ranking of the characters in terms of how they look versus the original. I'm very much basing this because a lot of people I've heard online are just bashing the shit out of the characters in the original. And I'm one of those people who defend them. I think with what they had to do, given the resources they had, they do such a good job of conveying emotion through those faces and having characters that look defined and different and unique. Um, and so many people are shitting all over them, and I will not have it, I won't stand by it. Um, obviously, the best-looking character is Ricky, because he looks the exact fucking same. It's like Kirby, right? Like, you remember the Smash Brothers Brawl trailer where they're like, oh, now Mario has denim, now Link looks all realistic, and now... <laughs> kirby looks like kirby Kirby. he just looks the same right um and so ricky is the same because you know the faces in the original xenoblade kind of looked like they were drawn on like they were kind of almost charcoal or pencil on the face right they weren't polygonal um and so ricky all the nopon characters have always been like that in any xenoblade game they always look like their eyes are drawn on and he's the exact same in this game so ricky obviously is the character that looks the best in terms of relating to the original works as well well, yeah, he doesn't really have a nose, I don't think. Did okay. Nopon have noses? I'm trying to think. think they've, got, they've got to have some bit of air hole or something, you know. Uh, they have mouths. I don't think Nopon have noses from what I can remember, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, Dunban up next. Dunban looks fantastic. He His nose is good. Like, he just, he fits with what he looked like. Ryan also looks good. Um, Melia is very good as well. I think Melia's nose actually works for her uh, based on what the original was. Then Shulk. 
Then, bottom of the list is Charlotte and Fiora, who both do not look anything like their counterparts. Fiora, most of all, and this is the one that annoys me the most, because I love Fiora's design in the original Xenoblade. And I'm sorry, the, the character in Xenoblade Definitive Edition that they call Fiora does not look like Fiora at all. She looks like generic blonde anime girl, and I don't... It really annoys... It's literally my least favorite thing about the entire game is Fiora's nose. I, I cannot abide by it and i really dislike the way that it looks because it just doesn't look like her and it bums me out a bunch well Um, how would you like her nose to look different because like just look if you can show a comparison between the original i'm having a little look now yeah if you just go to google and google a comparison you can distinctly tell how different her face looks because of it um and it's also like she has big anime eyes which she doesn't really have in the original so yeah they've kind of they've kind of bastardized fiora and it it makes me sad is it more perhaps her hair that looks no 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 um i don't think so like there's obviously all the elements will come together and create a certain thing but anyway that's my latest crusade against fiora's nose uh patch it monolith make it better i'm sorry i just can't it's not it's not good um but there are more things to talk about than that in Xenoblade uh, Definitive Edition. I think the the thing most of all that stands out to me is the changes to the quest design. Um, I don't know how much... Did you do many side quests when you played Xenoblade? Do you remember about um, it? Here and there. I, I don't think I was ever particularly taken by them. No, and, and neither was I. I don't recall myself going after them or doing... You know, because there's the giant affinity tree that you can see and you can see like linking all these characters, the random NPCs together and you raise your star rating with different areas of the Bionis depending on your affinity with them. And I never got that into it, um, mainly because a lot of the side quests are go out and kill this monster go out and kill this monster and get a rare drop from it go out and find this random item that is a blue orb in the world um, and you'll know Bally, that when you go out in xenoblade uh, they have these random orbs on the ground and there'll be random materials that you can put into your collectopedia which will give you gems um, or you can use them in side quests or you can use them in the colony six rebuilding or things like that in the original game there was no real direction and and this is kind of the case with xenoblade 2 as well on certain enemies but a lot of the quests are like, go kill a ponyo, uh, go kill uh, an owl thingy, go kill this, and the game just doesn't tell you where those are. It doesn't tell you a location, doesn't give you a, a marker on the map, doesn't do anything. The biggest structural change to the way this game works is that stuff, because anytime you get a quest, it will instantly blink on your map, here is an exclamation point, you can just go there and find that enemy, kill it, get it done with. Um, if that enemy is holding an item you need, it will show up. If there is an orb on the ground that you need to collect, it will show up on the map. It is streamlined to the nth degree, and if you just press the down button on the D-pad, it will quick select your quest menu, and then you can just tap R, and R will automatically um, set that as your active quest, and it will show a blue line, a blue dotted line on the mini-map that points exactly to where you have to walk to. Um, and that shows up on the main map as well. So... When we're talking about doing quests, honestly, this leans into the side of Xenoblade I like the most, which is just exploring and going and finding all the places, because one of the best things about this series is they give you XP points for just discovering locations, which I think is just a thing every big open world game should do, if it's an RPG of some nature. I don't understand why this hasn't been picked up on more, but it's one of my favorite aspects of the series, because 
it encourages you to level up not just through fighting random enemies but through literal discovery uh finding secret areas in xenoblade will sometimes net you enough xp to just level you up um which is amazing Mm. so so that's always been great and when when you add to this with these side quests it means that as you are going like you get to a start of an area and you just like you tap through i tap through all the fucking dialogue for the random side quest because they're like ah yes all this dialogue between characters but all it's really saying is go kill five of this thing and there's no interesting history or story behind it there are certain side quests which do do that which which do have a bit more of an emphasis on narrative but for the most part they're just like okay the mmo side quest blah blah i'll just i just want to collect them all so that then when i'm walking when i'm going around if i see an exclamation mark on the map i can just walk over there kill it and that's done the quest is like added to so it it builds into the game far more naturally uh and makes it so that i have done a ton of side quests like i'm not going to do them all because you know blade has like 400 fucking side quests it's absurd uh but i have been able to just gain more experience because i have just been doing a bunch of them and it has meant that level wise i've always been at a either higher level than bosses i'm going up against which has made things much easier or an equal level so in terms of me complaining about grinding in xenoblade originally had the side quest system been better back then i don't think it ever would have been a complaint to me because naturally doing these side quests will naturally level you up to the point where you don't actually come up against a lot of those barriers you know and i think both of us complained about this when we first played the game of like oh there are certain bosses where you just have to grind forever to get to the high enough level and the reality is if you just do side quests along the way you'll be fine um and and i've heard people talk about that before but it's just i think this game just makes it far more appealing because the side quests are so much easier to just go out and do um which wasn't the case in the original um the colony six stuff is the one sticking point for me because colony six is an area where uh eventually there's a like larger quest where you have to rebuild the entire area and the bummer thing is that that side quest doesn't work like the regular ones because you go and you talk to juju and he's like hey go and get these collectibles to build up the nature or build up the commerce or build up these different districts and you can't set those as quests in your quest log so basically you have to go there read what he wants and he's like i need two ice cabbages and you're like where the fuck are ice cabbages probably valak mountain so you go to valak mountain you wander around like this is the original in the original you just wander around trying to find them and it's the same here where the only time i've had to go to a wiki the xenoblade wiki is when i'm doing the colony six side quest because ice cabbages are apparently specific to six locations at night in valak mountain and there is a seven percent chance of finding one and you need two (laughs) of them so like i spent yesterday evening we were doing like a family quiz and uh, you know i wasn't participating as much because it was about (laughs) india and i was like i don't i'm not going to get any of these questions my dad's going to answer all the questions um so i was basically sitting there like participating but like playing xenoblade at the same time (laughs) <laughs> and I was just walking around Valak Mountain for an hour trying to find fucking ice cabbages, I, t- I tell you uh. what. Which, like, I think that's one of the things that has made Xenoblade more approachable now. Obviously, you have the experience of playing it handheld, but, like, it's great to be able to play this game handheld. And speaking of that, 
the um the visual side of handheld is not great it, it's similar to xenoblade 2 where it's mm. blurry it's not quite as blurry as xenoblade 2 is but i wouldn't want to experience this world on the switch handheld because yeah. the resolution is just not as popping as it should be it looks so much nicer like especially when you get to some of those huge areas like Aerith Sea and machina forest like they are just gorgeous and you want to soak in the the visual splendor um and even though i've played the game before like it is great re-experiencing these areas again on a, on a higher resolution um but there are times where i'm doing side quests and i'm like well you know i've already explored this part and i'm just doing side quests it's it's great to just have a handheld so that's that's been wonderful um and and yeah you know exploring is still fun i think the core of this game which is exploring all the places environments uh is still wonderful one of the things i've uh, discovered is that you don't have to swim around Earth sea uh if you want if you want to unlock the whole map all you need to do is find every landmark what's the point of this game then no i know you're right um this yeah but this is the other reason we were discussing about why my playtime is so much lower maybe it's because i haven't spent six hours just literally swimming around every single aspect of rsc to open up the map so that it's fully filled in because i have that i have that kind of mentality where like if i have a map i need it filled in it's part of the reason i am such a big fan of metroidvanias is like i just need every square on the map filled in i can't have any grayness i just have to do it so xenoblade like very much uh, grips itself into that part of my desires as well uh, but if you just find every location and every landmark the map auto fills in and so it shows you the entire map and i'm like oh okay so i, I did Aerith Sea, and i just got the whole thing and i'm like wow that probably saved me a bunch of time instead of just swimming around non-stop <laughs> um so so that has helped uh, a great deal and also you know you get experience for for finding all those places so it all kind of builds in the one thing that has been the most surprising to me is the combat of xenoblade because i think both of us back when we played it we didn't really experiment that much right like i think you played a shulk ryan and charla for most of the game Bally, yeah, right yeah most of it i mean there's certain points where you kind of need to switch them out a bit but i think that was my my core crew yeah and and i think i, I made this comment on twitter but i think Dunban, the game he was important yeah Dunban. i told you to use Dunban at the end game and yes. i i used him because he's actually a much better tank than ryan and he deals out much bigger damage than ryan does uh but what i was saying on twitter was i think the game actively discourages new players from switching up the formula because ryan and charlotte are just not that fun to play as right shulk is much more active because he his all his moves are about yeah. moving around the enemy and attacking them from different angles and that's another thing to bring up this combat has been so much more streamlined because you know side attacks and back attacks you never knew where exactly you were on enemies if there are multiple right, enemies right. on screen it gets so busy with all the numbers flying and everything this game streamlined that so much by putting a little exclamation mark next to an art when you will do the bonus damage. So if you are behind an enemy, oh. an exclamation mark will pop up on backslash. And so you just hit it at that point and it does it. And it also pops up a thing that's like yeah. chance. So it shows It's you. tricky because the start of the game, definitely, Ryan is basically the tank who has all these moves that kind of get ag- aggro enemies to attack yeah. him. So it's kind of less fun to play as, I guess, because he's just sitting there taking all the aggro from enemies and then shulk is meant to like run around the side or the back and the yeah. know, backslash side slash etc yeah, so. yeah if you're playing as ryan you're basically waiting for shulk to break <laughs> an enemy exactly. so you can topple because ryan doesn't fucking topple people when you want him to let me tell you that like there's definitely there was a fight early on in colony nine where i was like all right ryan i've broken this enemy 
like three times why are you not why are you not toppling them what are you doing like the ai is still has the kind of not great elements to it which uh, a lot of people complained about in the original but um but yeah same with charlotte charlotte's a healer and and i don't think games generally do a good job of making healers fun i think overwatch is one of the few games where like i mainly play as a healer in overwatch i find playing as mercy a lot of fun but most games do not make playing as a healer that enjoyable which i think is why lots of people bounce off them so those first three characters and you have those guys for at least the first 10 to 15 hours of the game before you get another character uh and so like you're mainly playing a shulk because it's just not that engaging to play as anyone else so as soon as you get a new character you're like well i'll just keep playing a shulk i guess because that that was my mentality anyway and also i didn't really know what to do like i wasn't reading things properly and it's just just taking the time to figure things out and also you know over the years i watched chugga conroy play through this whole game which taught me a lot about its systems um i've watched loads of people uh go through the game but mainly i watch people's reactions to the cutscenes because that's my favorite thing about xenoblade is its story and its world and its characters and the twists that happen so like just watching people react to those in real time like when ben moore from easy allies played through it, i loved watching just him react to things as they happened so it's it's i know this game pretty much inside out because i've seen it so many times um but there are also like there are smaller moments within the story that i forgot about and there's a lot of foreshadowing especially when you know where it's going when you know exactly what the plot is i love it when you can go back through media and see all the kind of chess pieces being laid almost uh the wheel of time that i'm reading at the moment people tell me that if you go back and reread this series which i mean it's already a 15 book series so like the intimidation of doing it again (laughs) is is maybe a bit too much but people have said it's even better on a reread because there are so many tiny little details that are dropped in there as nuggets of foreshadowing for the future um and and so yeah that's been wonderful to see to like get that excitement of oh i know what they're talking about or like oh i wonder what they are talking about there because i'm not sure if that relates to this thing or that thing so it's been it's been fun in that way um but yeah sorry back to the combat quickly uh dunban for example i learned that his attack gale slash when you use it there are other moves in his arsenal that will then do something after you use gale slash whereas in the past he has a he has a green art which usually just topples enemies right but in the past when i used him i'm like why isn't it toppling it's because you he only topples after using gale slash so you have to use gale slash first then you can topple with that art and it tells you on the screen it tells you that but like i feel i just didn't want to learn back then i was like i just want to get through the game i just want to finish it and see the story because that's what was really driving me through the first time was the characters and the story that's why i love the game so much but i'm really gaining a much deeper appreciation for the combat as a result of just taking my time with it and and reading things about it and learning how the character should play and honestly it's just the thing with breaking and toppling has been made so much easier by the exclamation mark showing up and showing you oh this guy's broken right now you can topple oh this guy's toppled you can daze him right now and so getting those chains together and just dazing enemies and letting them stay on the ground forever and ever has been fantastic especially when you get a character like melia who plays completely different than everybody else and i've heard for years and years people say how good melia is and i never learned her. i never understood her whatsoever but she is phenomenal once you know how to use melia you just literally evaporate enemies like their hp is just like snap and it's gone uh and it's been a lot of fun playing as melia mainly because this version of xenoblade definitive edition comes with a bonus uh epilogue called future connected which i have finished so basically i'm about i'm probably two-thirds of the way through the main game but i i decided i wanted to finish future connected so i could talk about it here and kind of give you an idea of of what it's about and the differences in it um and the main reason i didn't jump into it straight away well part of the reason was 
I was like, oh, let's just check out the original for like a couple of hours and then I'll jump into it. And then 35 hours later, I was like, oh, I should probably play Future Connect. It's something about Xenoblade that just like, oh, okay, well, I, I just started it, but now I'm just going to get drawn into it again. It just happened. I got, I, it's a drug. I got addicted to it. So, um, <laughs> but the main reason I waited after I'd done that was I was like, well, if I'm jumping into this new story and Shulk's there and Melia's there, and I know from history from people talking about it that Melia's AI is terrible, I want to be able to play as Melia and have the AI play as Shulk and these other Nopon who join you on your adventure. So I needed to learn how to play Melia first, which is why when you get her in the main game, I spent a ton of time looking up guides on YouTube, figuring out what you're supposed to do, how it works, what the best setup with her arts are, all that stuff. And now I know exactly what to do with her, so I jumped in... Um, and you start at level 60 in Future Connected because it takes place after the main game. And uh, and I had literally zero problems with any of the enemies. Like, the final boss, I completely shredded him. Like, not even a fucking question. It was just demolishing completely and utterly. Uh, and, and I think that speaks to how good Melia is. And she is really a glass cannon because if she gets the aggro, you'll get taken down very quickly. Like, she is brittle as hell. But she packs a punch. Uh, and if you have a setup that works, you can do a great job um so future connected is interesting because it takes place on the bionis shoulder the bionis shoulder is an area from the original game that was people thought it was cut during development but uh, apparently according to interviews with takahashi it was actually a test environment so they made the environment as like a kind of demo test ground for all of the ideas they were doing and it it's shown in one cutscene in the original game, but otherwise people have always thought about it as like cut content. Chaga Conroy did a great video about people who got access to the game file and have run around the old Bionis shoulder. They basically repurposed this entire area, um, built it in a way that is more vertical to to because they have definitely evolved their game design in terms of you know, environments and how you get through places. You can see that in Xenoblade X is a very vertical game. Even 2 has much more verticality to it. So this area has been a bit more redesigned, more areas added to it. And and yeah, it just basically tells the story of Melia. And she, her story is one of those which wasn't like, I guess, fully completed. You could, you could argue it was, but like Melia loses a lot uh, throughout the main game of Xenoblade Chronicles. And uh, it, it's, it's about her leadership and her trying to bring people together and things like that and i think overall like it's not a mind-blowing story but it does a really good job of fleshing out her character more giving her more stuff to kind of chew on um and there are you know certain characters who come back who are minor players in the main game and there's there's some really cool things that happen the other two characters you have are kino and nene and they're two little nopon children and I could see people who do not like Nopon being very fucking frustrated with Kino and Nene because they are the most like, ah, oh, Kino, Nene, like, hi, voice, ah, <laughs> ah, oh, oh, Nopon. What's the, what is Xenoblade, Xenoblade without Nopon, though? you got to have them Exactly. Right, they're like the Chocobo to Final Fantasy, right. Nopon are to Xenoblade. Like, they are iconic for the series. And um, the thing I really wish is that they did bring in some of the original characters because... You remember Heart to Hearts in the original game. Uh, I don't know if you ever did many. A lot of it required building yeah. affinity between characters. And if you're only using three characters, you'll never build affinity with other characters. So you'll never see them. Uh, but they're basically just little conversations that are not voice acted. And they have like dialogue choices where you can either, if you get the correct dialogue choice, it boosts your affinity. If you get the wrong one, it drops your affinity. And um, instead of Heart to Hearts, Future Connected has a thing called Quiet Moments. And they aren't based on affinity, so you don't have to worry about that. They're just gated by story progress. And they are just cutscenes because they are fully voice acted and they are a decent length. And the ones between Shulk and Melia are really great. Like, they're really good, more character building. 
the ones between Kino and Nene are kind of <laughs> kind of annoying and trite. Um, but like, th- there are moments of like Melia teaching Kino that he has to be a hero pawn and do certain things. Like, there's good messaging behind that stuff. I just wish because the Shulk and Melia conversation is so good, and there's also conversations that Melia has with another character that are actually really good. Like, what if Dunban was there? What if Ryan was there? What if Charlotte was there? Like, I just, I have myself wishing that instead of these annoying Nopon kids, we actually had characters we cared about. Um, but, like, there's an arc there, and I think the focus is on Melia. And I think maybe if you hadn't had these more forgettable characters, the focus would have been lessened for her, I guess. Um, so, so it does make sense. Also, the, uh, Kino and Nene are Ricky's kids, so there's lots of references to Ricky as well, um, which is a fun thing. But, um, but yeah, the location is great. The new music is fantastic. The overworld theme for the Bionis Shoulder definitely has more of a Xenoblade 2 vibe to it in terms of the music, but is brilliant. I'll probably play that as part of the break music. Um, the new battle theme is fantastic. Obviously, Xenoblade and music, that's my favorite OST of all time. It's just phenomenal. Um, so so yeah, I, I finished Future Connected, and Future Connected actually teases, like it, it has this enemy that it introduces, and it has this kind of this almost sci-fi element that it brings in that Takahashi has said, like, hey, this will probably tie into the future of Xenoblade. So I'm interested to see where that goes, like, if it's going to connect to Xenoblade 3, whatever that ends up being or whatever. But uh, I'm glad I played it. I'm, I'm happy to have beat it Future Connected. And now I can go back to exploring and just taking my time, honestly, with the, the Definitive Edition because I was not necessarily rushing through it because I actually am taking my time far more uh, with this game, just doing all the side quests and things that I come across. But... Yeah, now I feel a bit more relaxed about like just you know I've I've seen Xenoblade before. I don't I don't need to get to the end to see the surprise so I don't get spoiled on it. Like I know the game, um, so it is it's nice. And I think especially during this time where just the world is fucking falling apart and shit is just the worst, it is so nice to have something comforting and familiar like Xenoblade to just sink into. Uh, it really is. So so I'm yeah I'm absolutely adoring it. If you've never played the game before, this is the opportunity to jump in and play Xenoblade Chronicles. Um, absolutely one of my favorite games of all time and i just have more respect for it now um you know i I replayed uncharted 2 this year like i've been replaying a lot of games like replaying ori in the blind forest on hard mode things like that and um like uncharted 2 is like ah maybe it doesn't hold up quite as as well in my estimation i think xenoblade is better than i thought it was like and that's crazy to me because i already held it in high regard but like just me gaining a deeper understanding of the combat has just increased my respect for it even more um even even though like there are definitely times when i've been playing where i'm like i'm kind of just doing the same thing with every enemy when i'm playing but it feels good because i'm destroying them so you know it feels like i've mastered the systems yeah i mean there's some very good jrpgs where that's probably still the case right oh for sure yeah yeah cool great uh sorry for taking up so much time on xenoblade but you know uh man's got to talk about his passions uh bali we played a game together as well. Uh, obviously, last week uh, I talked. Last show I talked about Operation Logic Bomb on the Super uh, Operation Logic Bomb on the Super Nintendo Switch online service. Thanks for that mouthful, Nintendo. Um, they also added Wild Guns to the Super Nintendo uh, online service. A game that I'd heard a bunch about in the past. It seemed like the type of thing, a co-op experience that is contra-esque, right? Would you say, in some senses? Yeah, it's just um, a slightly different perspective, really, but a yeah. very similar idea. You, you, it is insta-kill, right? Uh, and yeah, um, yeah, co-op, blast your way through cowboys and. Um, 
robots and yeah. aliens and businessmen. <laughs> businessmen, shout um, out to businessmen. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot in there. So the setting feels a little bit Contra-like. Uh, but yeah. then, yeah, the camera perspective is very different. It's almost like a, a pseudo third person kind of behind the back, but you have the ability to shoot in front i think the i think the best way to describe it is that it's duck hunt basically right yeah like you're facing a, a, a kind of screen in front of you it's duck hunt but you can still move around yeah so you have there are two characters on the screen um i can't remember their names whatever there's a, a man and a woman uh, and the two of you can play online because the super nintendo online is actually pretty good like we we, we yeah, used it and it really worked good and functionality um playing online and being able to save state with each other on the same game yeah, I don't know if you had the option to bring up the save state menu. I don't believe so. Yeah, so it was just me. So the person who's in control of the play session, which was me, I can bring up the save menu to uh, save state. What you can't do is rewind. So you can't rewind when you're doing co-op online um, or when you're playing with someone online because you could, as we've talked about in the past, we would like to maybe go through the original Legend of Zelda together, like back and forth, trading the controls almost. Um, and you can't rewind while you're doing that if you're on your own you can um mm. but you can make save states and the th- here's the funny thing i don't think we actually needed save states badly because the save system in this game is such that if you die on a level it's very it's very generous it's very unlike contra yeah for sure because if you die on a level it'll just send you back to the main menu and if you would already beaten a level that level stays completed so and you have three lives when you start each level each of you has three lives which makes me feel like if i was to play this on my own it would be a lot more difficult maybe um, you'd get four or five lives if you're by yourself you don't know i feel like uh, games back then weren't that generous Bally. i think back then <laughs> games were just easier if you played with multiple people well, that's true. Uh, yeah um so so yeah the, the idea is that you are just it's a shooting gallery essentially but you can also move your character on the screen which is weird because obviously there's no analog sticks back then so you're moving your reticle on the screen as you shoot so if you hold down the shoot button your character stands in place and you can move the d-pad or the i was using the analog stick because it felt more natural for this type of game uh, to move your reticle and to shoot enemies in front of you right and trying to dodge out of the way of bullets that come your way by tapping to the side with b i believe it was to do a dodge roll and you can also jump um and so it's a, it's a case of most of the time you're kind of standing in place and shooting but you really have to pay attention to your environment because sometimes a bullet will come out of somewhere and just will knock you out and you'll be like oh where the hell did that come from so it's really about just being aware of your environment and and, and you and can dodge roll while shooting whereas you actually have to stop shooting in order to in order to jump so like right. they do feel very different to each other and likewise there's even enemies who will come up and try and melee attack you and you have to yeah. get out like a baseball bat and spack uh, smank spank <laughs> spank them back with your base hit them with your baseball smack bat. them i think might be the word you're looking smack for. them spank yeah. them spack them yeah all, all of the above um uh-huh. and th- th- that can be really difficult to try and spot in the middle of a heated fight with everything going on on the screen totally yeah it's uh I think that by the end, like, I think it started off difficulty-wise really good, and then you definitely get to the train level, and we were like, okay, Superman's the boss, I, I hope there's not another part after Superman, and uh, there's this guy who flies through the air who's a boss, and we, this is the thing we do, especially with Contra, <laughs> is you just come up with names uh, for things on the screen, because you need a quick shorthand when you're, like, panicking and you're, like, trying to communicate with one another, um, and Businessman is the, is the, is the best one, because there's an enemy who's a boss, who's literally just a guy 
in a suit who just like walk, walks around like an idiot and we just called him businessman and we had tactics for businessman the other thing that you get is you have your guns if you shoot certain enemies at certain times you'll be able to upgrade those guns so you can get like a wider reticle or a more powerful shot or uh you know like much faster speed of fire uh, but you can also use bombs you have like a limited number of bombs three each i believe but you can also collect more bombs as you go through the level and we really got down to the tactical nature of it by the end where the last level there's like four different phases to this last level and we're like okay so screen one we're gonna use one bomb and then we're gonna wait until businessman will use one bomb on businessman so we have two bombs left for the final boss and stuff like that so it was really just it's so much fun to just communicate and figure out yeah figure out a strategy yeah because the skill is in your memory of the phases it's your skills also in the coordination between you and your partner and likewise the skills in actually you know carrying it out doing yeah. the, the action combat that you're engaged in like it's a, your brain is operating at very much more than just one level that you might oh, think for sure is, uh, which gets really heated it gets fast it's it but it's really satisfying and we did manage to beat it in about two three hours like it wasn't wasn't too long yeah we just sat there uh i think it was five o'clock and we finished about seven quarter past seven so it was like just over two hours and uh it is one of my favorite super nintendo experiences i've had i i think it's a gorgeous game as well it's really great sprite design um and i think the limited focus of it helps with that you can there's definitely slow down there which can help at moments as well to kind of dodge around things but just learning the system because i remember we started off and we're like what the fuck is going on what are we i don't understand how how do i move how do i jump how do i dodge and like the transformation that happened from that to like the end game where we're just like mind melding you know (laughs) like just just nailing every aspect uh is incredibly satisfying just sort of Um, learning how to be on the screen with each other and what i mean by that is like I'll take care of this part of the screen. You take care of that part of the screen. We tried not to like cross over too much because yeah. then the chaos just gets worse. And yeah, like, th- it really real gets strategy. busy. It gets busy on the screen in terms of your reticles and sometimes not realizing you're looking at your friend's reticle as opposed to your own. You're like, oh no, I've been shooting at nothing this whole time. Mm. Um, and they are different colors, but it's it's a little tricky sometimes and there's you know there's a lot of flashing things that happen on the screen often before an enemy will shoot the screen there will be like a flashing kind of circle that will be like this is where this is going to land you better dodge roll if you want to avoid it and things like that um but i think for the most part its difficulty is pretty fair would you not say yeah Um, it's fair i think that is emphasized by the fact you get all your lives back after the level i think that's a really nice thing for this game to do and maybe that final level which opens with those two guys that we just yeah. could not use a, a bomb on which was a little frustrating but generally it was very fair yeah yeah because i i feel like when we've played contra before we had to save state mid boss fight and we never did that throughout this entire thing when you think about it none of the save states we made actually made a material difference because no. it was basically we beat all of those levels from beginning to end with yes. the amount of lives that we had yeah. we never we never did a cheeky we oh you will just do a safe state because we're in a good position here mm. and we just don't want to repeat that section we always and i think by the end i was like Bali, do you want to do a safe state after these two guys and you're like well would we really be beating it if we did it that way because i think you <laughs> sense that that we actually we could do it like we really could do it so um, yeah we were we were there we were just messing up a bit and that is frustrating but we knew we could beat the game if we brought our best game that's the important yeah, part that's what exactly that's, that's what feels fair about it 
Right, whereas some elements of Contra 3 were like, I don't think, unless we put 25 hours into this... I don't think even our best game can actually do this. Yeah, unless we put 25 hours into this and got really lucky, we would be able to do it without seeing the (laughs) way through it, you know? Um, There's just a difference there, and I think, yeah, it's a short game, but it's one of those games that I think, you know, you can just go back and replay and have a great time with still. It's just, I would highly recommend, if you have a friend who has a Switch, even in this time of, like, isolation and being at home... The online portion of that is great. I wish, like, these Konami collections and uh, the Mega Man collections and things like that. Well, Mega Man less so because there's no multiplayer in Mega Man. But, like, the, the Contra collection especially, why does that not have online? It really frustrates it, it's me. It's like... It's almost like Nintendo was so slow to get out the blocks on this functionality that that's what made Konami be like, right, we've got to get Contra collection out there, you know? And, and yeah. they never even it's maybe not even konami's fault in that sense they just never thought that nintendo was ever going to put super nintendo games on the system with online functionality so they never thought right. about it at all and not really. to mention they they stand to make so much more money by selling their own products on the eShop as opposed to just getting dividends from nintendo for people playing yeah. it on their online before they get out there put out our collection and nintendo are like oh, well we don't have any current plans currently so i guess that's all good whatever and then two years down the line or whatever nintendo are like yeah well throw into many s and super nintendo games sure yeah <laughs> I, it's one of those things that makes me wish that the console companies built in a um kind of almost a system-wide online functionality thing because what steam has done is steam has made a thing called remote play together which basically allows you to co-op any game on steam even if it only has local multiplayer um, yeah so. that's that's a good point i i mean that sounds really cool and i don't even i would guess that series x and playstation 5 won't even have that functionality to be honest no um it does seem like that is just the natural um future of what online gaming should be yeah because it means that then the developers don't even have to build it into the game it can just be a system level that you can do it yeah um great anyway wild guns one of my favorite things i played this year so far that was so much fun had a great time cool Um, well, I've been playing um, another game. Uh, it's a puzzle game that's on Switch, uh, and I played it on Switch, and that is The Gardens Between. Uh, yes. It's a short puzzle game. Very simple concept. Uh, it's two characters that essentially move around a diorama on a single track, and you control them through by moving time. Um, and the aim is that one of the characters has to get their lantern filled with light and take it to the top of the mountain essentially and there's like 20 different dioramas or so 20 different mountains and you can put this lantern down on these moving pods that move around the stage in line with time and likewise there are these flowers that produce the light that you then load into your lantern and likewise there are also flowers that take away the light um there's also like the purple smoke that you can't walk through but it can be cleared by light and then likewise, these, this purple smoke you can walk on top of, but as it gets cleared by light, you have to make sure you don't have light if you want to walk across it. So as a puzzle game, just with those mechanics alone, I think you could make a decent puzzle game that is cool and interesting. But I think what's the real kicker for this game and I enjoyed the most was that the other character has the ability to interact with all the other aspects of the level so each level will have like a unique object so the 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 two characters the game is basically based on their friendship and the rooms and experiences they have living they live together it's not really clear they they live live next door to each other right not to spoil the ending but like you see that at the end that their houses are next to one another right Um, and yeah so objects like 
I don't know, calculators, uh, rolling pins, uh, TV remotes, t- televisions. Uh, I think there's like board games. and Dripping water that has to be applied to electricity to create right. uh, you know, certain So, so my favorite um, use of an item was actually a calculator that they both yeah. walk across. And they, they walk across a specific series of numbers and then a code appears later in the level and you think, all right, I guess I have to match that code with the number I put in on the calculator. And you have to do a very specific walking them through time backwards and back again in order to get them to hit the right numbers in order to unlock the later part of the level. And it's just like this really awesome, innovative... And it's not... Another reason I really love this game is that it's it's a really good difficulty. Like, I'm, I only went to a guide, like, just a couple of times at the very end, and I think if I had just been a little more patient, I might have got it. Like, I never had to go to a guide, like, maybe halfway through the game or anything. Like, it, it's, it's, it's fairly simple. It's fairly... Not straight... It's, not, it's tougher than being straightforward. It, it makes you think. Right, because, like, ultimately, it's one of those games where you feel super clever for having done it, and yet the simplicity with which it is, with which you're able to solve the puzzles, is it's so clear. Yeah. Like, it's so, like, there's, there's a real smoothness to your solving of them, but also they're clever enough to where you feel like a real genius for overcoming them. It's, it's a, it just strikes a great balance. Right. And I think, as when I spoke about it on the show, I think last year, um, the thing that stood out to me was it gates you off so you'll get through a a part of the stage then there'll be a point where it doesn't let you rewind past so you'll get past an area and you're like oh i can't go further back which lets you know that all the tools you need are within this small stretch of the level because you literally can't access that previous part which limits the scope and so it makes it it makes it more uh tangible for you to find the solution because you're like well there's only certain few things i can do i can figure this out essentially yeah and th- like there are certain levels where you do almost have to go back to the beginning of the level to interact with something that then links to the end and it does get there are more complicated aspects but yeah it certainly does I, I i do think it also has areas that where you're sort of lining up this or this something that happens on a screen that links to the real world it feels a little bit goragoa-esque in some ways and yeah i actually think it's it's stronger in that it's a lot simpler where some of the most revealing aspects of Gora Goa can be very complicated to get to. And like, I've definitely struggled with that game with kind of working out, right. So how does this link to that? Whereas this is, this feels like there's fewer steps to get to the Eureka moments really. Um, And yeah, it's just on top of the, the, the design being so strong. I think that just artistically, it's a really lovely, almost pastoral colors, um, yeah. artwork that is just really lovely to like play and experience and the music is very kind of it's just it's piano it's just little plinky plonks it's almost like a, a suggestive piano based soundtrack a bit like breath of the wild or something it's just kind of right, suggestive yeah. but not overbearing it's like very sparse in a way very sparse um and that lets all the objects and things that you're interacting with kind of breathe a lot more in terms of the, the sounds that they're making and that sort of thing so it's only like a three to four hour game in total and I, I played it in sort of one sitting. I sort of started it at the TV and then the joy of Switch was I brought the end of the game to bed and then beat yeah. it in bed and, like, <laughs> and that's just a great way to play a short game on Switch. But um, yeah. it's, I'd say like three to four hours long and I've not really had a puzzle game that has been my, you know, 
go-to, this is my favorite puzzle game ever. I mean, it might have been Box Boy initially, but I definitely sure. like not didn't get tired of it necessarily, but just kind of slowed down on my appreciation for that game after like the sequels and kind of like, it's a very long game. I think this game is so strong partially because it's so short and it's probably now like my favorite puzzle game. Like this is a game that I would be the most comfortable recommending to someone um i think you do need a bit of a, a gamer brain mindset to to play this game but probably less so than a game like a box boy obviously but it, it it's a game i definitely recommend i know that it's like on game pass i know it's on it's across everything it's it's fairly cheap i got it on sale for maybe like three four pounds on switch a yeah. while back and definitely look out for it and i i heard the switch version is very good as well how did it run handheld and on the tv and things like that yeah it, it did it was flawless no hitching um there's a little bit of loading screens here and there but that that loading yeah. is it's kind of like there's fun there's nice stuff to look at while it's loading it's not like just a, a black screen or something like it sure it's, it's a it's a great package and yeah i would this is one of the ones you recommended, MBZ, and I'm, yeah. I'm glad I, I played it and picked it up. Cause For sure, and I, th- I think when I recommended it, I was like, I think this will be the one that Bally like, connects with. Because there have <laughs> been a lot of puzzle games where I'm like, this is the great second coming of Christ. Like, for me, I would say Gorogoa. I don't know, I, I think both these games are remarkable, actually. Like, honestly, The Guns Between is just... Yes, they very much are. Just impeccable, but I think it is definitely much more approachable uh, right. for, for a lot a wider audience. I have huge respect for Gora Goa. It's just more my personal taste kind of puts me off yeah, it. Um, for, for sure. This is very much more up my street, personal taste-wise. Um, so, yeah. The Gardens yeah. Between, highly recommend it. It's like a small Australian developer, I believe. I can't remember their name oh, off great. the top yeah. of my head. Um, so wonder what they'll work on next uh yeah, yeah. um and also I, I just wanted to shout out to their story because i think it has a nice little ending and you know it kind of makes sense with what has been going on throughout the whole thing like it's it's simple but it works and i think it's pretty, pretty yeah clever. really um, cool little game great fantastic uh so yeah go check out video games video games are good um and uh, and yes we will be back that'll end out this segment we'll be back after the break to chat some of your emails don't go anywhere we'll be right back
Right, everyone, welcome back to the second part of today's show. It is the emails segment. It's my personal favorite. I think it's a good one. Uh, if you would like to send in an email to the show, please send them to thisnintendolife at gmail.com. That is thisnintendolife at gmail.com. Or you can post a comment in our Discord server. We've got a great community growing over there. We'd really appreciate your feedback, your questions. We'll read them out on the show. Our first question today is from Brad B. He's from Queens in New York. Uh, Hi, fellas. Love the show. Love Codename Steam. Here's to being on the right side of that part of history. Yes, Brad, Uh, I stand with you. (laughs) (laughs) Want to ask your thoughts about the likelihood of release of the following games on Switch in the near future? Well, let's list these one by one, right? First game, Street Fighter V. So we're just going to say, like, percentage chance of this coming to the Switch. Yeah, let's do percentage chance. Man, Street Fighter Five. Okay, so like I would expect them to put Street Fighter Four on the Switch, which they kind of did. Sort they did like that weird. Which one was on 3DS? They um put Street Fighter Four on 3DS. Yeah, 4, that was the one yeah. they put on 3DS. Right. Um, okay. So uh, you remember the launch of Switch? They actually had a version of Street Fighter Two that they put on Switch that had that weird first person mode where you push the Joy Cons to do a Hadouken. I remember watching, I think Ooh, Ben on Giant yeah. Bomb try Ooh. and do a motion control Hadouken, and it just being very bad. So, yeah, I mean, fighting games, there have certainly been some fighting games that have come to Switch, but I think for me, Street Fighter V is one of those games that actually, it didn't have a big impact. Like, it was kind of flopped when it came out by the community. They weren't a big fan of it. They've continued to do content for it. What year did it come out? I think it was like 2016 or 2017, maybe? I'm not sure. Um, It was a few years ago now, but... uh, it was even 2018 who fucking knows like certain games you feel like it's been like decades since they came out but actually it was like oh that came out earlier this year yeah i forgot because it was like panned to hell like the end of last year where they're like oh anthem came out this year i was like jesus that feels like 10 decades ago um but but for street fighter 5 like they continue to do the seasonal content they definitely have characters dropping it's it feels like one of those games though that doesn't fit to the nintendo model of like it's more of a games as a service type thing right um even though smash brothers is a similar idea of like doing that stuff that those types of games tend not to come to the switch generally um just because they have to work on the multiple versions of it and make sure it it runs we should say brad says chance of it coming to switch in the near future so like what okay i would define near future as next two years like i think yeah in two years time will be well into the probably the second half of the switch's life cycle you'd imagine and right. there's probably still going to be a few big hitters after two years time but i think in the next two years you'll be likely to get if it's going to come it's likely going to be two in next two years potentially so yeah what percentage are you going for I think three or five, five, probably about thirty percent chance of that coming to the switch like I wouldn't rule it out because I think it can certainly run on the system it's you look at the visual style of it and it's not too far removed from four i think it's part of the reason it didn't really stand out when it came out because like oh, it kind of looks like four again like they didn't really visually distinguish it it's kind of the new super mario brothers problem um even though like street fight four's art style is much superior to new super mario brothers but you know what i mean like it's not it wasn't yeah. really a fresh coat of paint um so so yeah i just don't I don't feel like i think about other fighting games like soul Calibur 6 and, and stuff like that and i thought at one point namco might bring that to switch as well but it doesn't look like that's gonna happen uh those games have been out for a while now and it doesn't seem like the type of community that would rally around fighting games is really going to be on switch um and the thing on switch obviously is any fighting game you've put out there is instantly competing with smash brothers and it's always going to lose to smash brothers right so so yeah it's hard uh, i don't think it's that likely 
Um, I know very little about fighting games, but I would probably give it lower, like 20%. And okay. If not had it yet, who knows? Um, sure. Persona 5 in the next two years on Switch. Oh, God. It's like the eternal struggle that people have, isn't it? They're like, will it? Won't it? Will it? At this point, after all the scramble nonsense and P5S and people being like, it's coming, Switch is happening, finally. So there wasn't a representative from Atlas who came out and said something along the lines of, hey, like, if you want it, like, make your voices heard and we'll like relay that back but you honestly send it to this and the executive's email address here <laughs> yeah no it's, it's it would more be to talk to atlas about it rather than sony but i, I just would... mean it seems like they've got a huge deal wrapped up with sony and they're not yes. breaking that for anyone like it's not happening pretty much it feels like sony is just bankrolling the fact that the mainline persona series stays on playstation is associated with the brand of playstation um and and almost is treated like a first party release right so yeah, I'm going to go like, I'm going to give you a 5% chance just to give you some hope, but really that's all I'm going to give you. I'm not going to go beyond that because like, I've been too badly beaten up at this point, like wishing for Persona 5 on Switch is not going to happen. <laughs> I'll go I'll go like 10%. I think it's very unlikely, but Yeah, it's low. It's low slim chances. Uh, GTA 5. Oh man, this is the one that I think should have come to Switch like at least two years ago. It's maybe the weirdest, yeah, that it's not already made it because we um we had uh, what La Noir came and yes. then are there any other Rockstar games on Switch? I don't believe so. They haven't put Bully. Bully would make sense. Bully was on Wii. Like there's a pre-existing history there. Um, Rockstar have had a history of working with Nintendo in the past. You don't look about like uh, Chinatown Wars on DS, which was a lot of people call that one of the best GTA games, right? Um, so they have done stuff with Nintendo. GTA Five is the biggest fucking game in the world. You know, it sold so many stupid amount of copies. It's not like Rockstar don't want to sell more, but it's the question of do they care enough and like at this point they're ramping up for gta 6 is that a port that gets done in-house i if they were going to do it they would likely you know farm it out somewhere to some other developer who would do it like who would get it sorted the other thing you have to realize right the fundamental core of why gta 5 is still relevant it's an online game and as i said before with street fighter with stuff like division with all these big like rainbow six all these ubisoft style games of constantly updated rainbow six siege all this nonsense uh gta 5 lives and breathes via shark cards and its online functionality and its ability to play with people uh, in a giant world and have everything work perfectly flawlessly obviously like it has issues you know it's not a smooth experience necessarily even on the big boy consoles like i think they'd be prepared to port it to switch i don't think they'd be prepared to put in the online infrastructure because it's just too difficult to work with like this like nintendo the, the switch is just like poorly like operate operational from an operational perspective on online stuff it's just not gonna work well is it yeah no and i and i do worry about like popular obviously like you, you've done open worlds on switch before and gta 5 is a last gen game at its core it came out on 360 and yeah. ps3 and fundamentally the switch is kind of similar architecture to those consoles it should be able to run most of what ps3 and 360 could but also like you, you need to wonder about how that would run with people online i just take a, one look at pokemon sword and shield and how as soon as you populate the wild area with more than like three people the frame rate becomes like 12 you know and gta 5 far more ambitious game than sword and shield like far more open and you think about how many players you'd have online at the same time i just don't think it's feasible um so yeah like the rockstar could put out regular gta 5 and then just not do the online stuff but then 
what's the point from their perspective of putting it there i mean we've had saints row is it is it more like is it more physicsy based than a saints row because that's been ported to switch right yeah, it has, and what we've seen is Saints Row doesn't run amazingly on Switch, right? It's not a yeah. uh, fantastic port, and that would presumably be the same with Grand Theft Auto. So it's, you know, it's one of those that I think could work, but, like, you look at a lot of recent stuff that's happened. What was the one recently? There was one that uh, I think it was, um, yeah, The Outer Worlds just came out on Switch, and my god does that look like complete garbage as a switch port goes it, it frame rate is bad resolution and textures incredibly blurry just doesn't run or perform how you need it to uh it, it's a constant struggle and so gta 5 yes it would probably do better than outer world just because it's a last gen game and so probably asset wise and things like that so it's a little less uh straining but I still don't think it's that likely because we're just... It, it's a lot of factors, right? It's the online stuff. It's the fact that we're so late into the Switch lifecycle. It's the fact that Rockstar really... Their bread and butter is made on shark cards and, and digital services. And if you don't put that in the Switch version, like, sure, you're making money from $60 sales, but is that really what Rockstar wants to do with their time? Because I think, as a corporation, they have shown that really they just care about making hand over fish, fist cash, which, you know, most corporations do. Um, so I'm going to give it a... I'm going to give it like a 20% chance, just on the off opportunity that they put the regular base version on Switch without any updates or online or anything of that sort. Yeah, I'd go 40. I think that like because Saints Row is on there, it's doable, and it's just about whether it's in the interest of Rockstar or not. Yeah, absolutely. Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, 0% chance. (laughs) There's no fucking way in hell uh, that is coming to the Switch. Unfortunately. It will come to like PC and Xbox though, right? That's going to happen in the next couple of years. Yeah, so it has a kind of a limited time exclusivity deal on PlayStation currently. Uh, there will be a PC version. I I think it's coming to Xbox as well, uh, probably. But yeah, it's not It's not going to be what if they for another do year. Final but... Fantasy VII Remake Chibi on Switch. Pocket Edition? Yeah. Exactly. You know what? It's you happening. know fucking what? Square Enix are dumb enough to do that shit. I... Oh, you should have made that bet at the start of this year, Bally. It's like, bet for November 2020, uh, Square Enix will release Final Fantasy VII Remake think, Pocket yeah, Edition happening. on Switch. It's happening. That's a good Final call. Final Fantasy like VII Remake Pop. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go so far as to say that's a 70% chance of happening <laughs> this year. Final Fantasy Remake Pocket Edition is coming to the Nintendo Switch. Um, but yeah, 0% chance of the actual game coming. Nope, not. Open hell. Yeah, I think it's just that game is a very graphically intense piece of art that I think. And for God's sake, they can't even is... load the door textures properly on PlayStation. Like, what do you think the Switch version is <laughs> going to look like? My lord. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's not happening. I'm, I'll go with zero as well. Okay, and second, do you expect any of the following Nintendo titles in the near future? Again, let's. Why don't we say next two years? Okay, Xenoblade Chronicles X. Ooh, I don't think X is coming. I think they've talked about it enough uh, of like people saying, well, really? we should port it, well, we should not. Um, the thing is, I think Monolith did the definitive edition in-house for uh, Xenoblade 1, so I would imagine that Monolith would have to do their own work on X if they wanted to bring it over. And fundamentally, I think that studio works on a lot of stuff, right? They're part of the Zelda team. They're working on Breath of the Wild 2, undoubtedly. Um, they are working on a sequel to Xenoblade 2, and they have that other project, which like people have speculated about the medieval fantasy artwork. So 
if you think about three projects currently they're working on, it doesn't leave a lot of room for them to work on a port of Xenoblade Chronicles X, unless, of course, you know, as I said, give it to someone else, give it to Grezzo or something, uh, but doesn't seem likely to me that that is coming in the next couple of years. I think Nintendo want to push forward with the mainline Xenoblade series as opposed to X because, as you've seen, 2 did extremely well, and now Definitive is linked to 2, right? They're in the, the same kind of ballpark versus x which is is more of a side story like it's a complete offshoot it's not in the same realm and it's not really existing along the same kind of ideas so i don't like i would like it to be there because it's a great fucking game but no i don't think so i'm not going to give it a high chance i'll say eh, i'll give you a 10 percent on it just because yeah i think it's a little bit surprising we might not have already had it already it was maybe one of those games you think could have come out very early on switch and just never obviously made that slot so yeah i think very low i go five percent okay arms not great odds we're getting here by the way just like all across the board we're like nope not happening not happening very positive show we are (laughs) arms two i think it's happening yeah i mean i would probably go 50 percent. i'd say it's a 50 50 on arms just because the first one did all right it was also not well positioned uh in terms of sales potential to some degree it was high sales potential because it was one of the first switch games that came out after launch but it was also sandwiched between um mario kart and there was another game that came out after it that splatoon, uh, splatoon yeah it was splatoon 2 and mario kart was sandwiched between two games which the online communities for are much larger and much more long lasting and arms is an, another game that was very much positioned as an online focused thing didn't really uh grab on unfortunately i really don't know what they would do to that game um like whether it's just more characters more stages more modes i think they just need to make a single player campaign that's interesting and and focuses like this is the thing that a lot of people were talking around when arms launched is overwatch had come out relatively recently like it was 2016 was overwatch and arms came out in 2017 and people are talking about how those characters in overwatch are so memorable and the lore behind them and they they like they built so much stuff around those characters and then the single player for arms didn't take anything from that it didn't build around it it didn't give you any interesting tidbits like there was there was kind of it was a canvas that could have been painted upon but it was left blank and like they they looked cool i like twin tail i like uh, mechanica all these characters look great but there's no kind of meat on the bone they're just like hey they look cool now what and i i I think that you could do more of a story driven campaign that would flesh out that world and those people uh, and make something interesting out of it but again that's not nintendo's strength right like they're not in the business of creating memorable you know storylines and and those types of things so did you go for 60 percent? did you say i would say 50 50 uh, it's it's higher percentage probably chance because they're putting a character in smash brothers and that instantly raises your clout not that it means anything because like captain falcon has been in smash brothers for years and we've not seen a whiff of f-zero for it can mean everything or it can be nothing you know yeah sure it's kind yes. of double-edged sword in that way um yeah i, I think 60 percent. i think it's it sold fine i think you're right i think a single player focused campaign could convince people certainly like me who are not convinced by the first game to be like hey actually this could be fun even from a single player perspective uh punch out boy i would like to see a new punch out but then you you question of is that treading on arms territory right uh do you want to <laughs> yeah. put out two punching games with punchy people in it um which is not above nintendo 
and while they are both punchy games they are very different they are very different yeah you're, you're um, right um, and that next level game on weave that we played last year was an absolute blast and it was great yeah it's fantastic that you stick to the basic controls on switch and you could i think we talked about some of the the stereotypes and that and yeah how that game came out in 2009 and, and we agreed that even since 2009 i think you know the world is a lot more aware of those things especially sure. sort of in the west and um wants to you know maybe not tread on all those difficult subjects again um but then you could just make it a lot more i don't know nintendo themed and not even go for national stereotypes and things like that yeah yeah definitely uh it's i'd like to say a good percentage chance of this um but i just i think nintendo when it comes to their older franchises and bringing them back it really is just a flip of the coin um I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it like a 35 to 40 percent chance. I think it's definitely a part of their lineup that is potentially missing that could be filled in. But again, it's just it's been a while, and it, you also have to think about with all these questions, who is making it right? You have to think about what resources are being put towards which studios, which studios want to make what they want, um, and and what's going to be the kind of the place you go forward with it because you look at next level luigi's mansion made a lot of sense because that first game sold a ton on 3ds and you know surprise surprise three is a remarkable game it was so much fun uh and they made the original punch out i don't know how well punch out did on wii uh i just don't know if it was sold enough to where it would warrant bringing it back and you know they're also a studio that has a history of working on older nintendo ip and bringing them back from the dead so maybe nintendo give them a different thing to work on this time who knows uh, yeah. but i'm excited to see what they work on next because you know lose mansion 3 knocked out of the park yeah what a game i'd probably go for like around 20 percent to 30 percent. i think decent chance happening but maybe not just because i think it's difficult territory uh yeah mario golf uh mm. i i 90 percent and i wow. honestly think like 90 percent in the next two years like i think mario golf is one of those sports mario games that gets a bit more love certainly than tennis i would argue historically it's obviously nowhere near mario kart but it's probably the next biggest after that when you think about it and i think based on i that, would say party it, is probably higher than it a party is not a sport MJ. it's a Come spin-off on. you know i'm talking about, spin-offs, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I, I'm talking about sports but yes you're right party is bigger in terms of sales um i think golf does have its fans and i, I do think it's a decent game that they can put out i don't know who'd make it probably camelot i think did they make the 3ds one yeah i'm pretty sure that's what camelot are working on right now is exactly. one of those like so, they made their tennis game for switch what are they going to do next golden sun people will cry but of course that's <laughs> not going to happen that's just that's too ra- irrational for nintendo to do um, yeah so. so i think it's happening definitely probably probably not this year but i think strong chance next year and if not the year after definitely within two years uh, I'm going to say 80%. I think it is very, very high likelihood. And as you said, probably next year. Um, I would say like a spring next year release. It would make sense to do it this year if they're doing all the Mario celebration with the new Paper Mario and the collection and stuff. But I think it could slip and it could potentially be... Well, when did the tennis game came out? That came out in 2018, did it? I think so. Um, so it's yeah. been two years. So let's say give them a little bit longer, probably two and a half year development cycle on a golf game. Yeah, I'd say early 2021 is probably likely. So high chances. Advance Wars. 
Um, I'm sorry, Valley. Intelligent Systems doesn't care about you anymore, and there's no other company who's going to do it. Like, Fire Emblem is too popular. I'm going to give you a 2% chance, but that is honestly being generous. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> just the just the resigned sigh of someone who was up for that Wargroove sequel that'll be good yeah. that's a better yeah why don't we get excited for that why I, mean, I don't know i've given up on advanced wars at this stage i think it's uh-huh. honestly more likely we see wave race f-zero um you know nintendogs i think all these other nintendo franchises are probably more likely at this stage than advanced wars and that's mainly due to the fact as you said that intelligence systems are the fire emblem company fire emblem is now a very precious property within the Nintendo yeah. tent. And I mean, not only that, but they also make Paper Mario, right? Like, you know, they yes, they, yeah. they make a lot of franchises, beloved franchises for Nintendo. So Yeah, so I don't think that dichotomy is changing anytime soon unless Paper Mario is a massive flop followed by the next Fire Emblem being a massive flop. And even then, I think that they'll still probably be, probably be moneymakers. Yeah, most likely. But yeah, uh, that was some good questions there, Brad B. Really appreciate those little quickfire round. So our next question is from Capsule J, who's from Georgia in the USA. Dear Bally and MBZ, when looking at my goatee list for the past few years, I've come to the realization that with the exception of Nintendo first party titles, I haven't paid full price for a game in several years. In many cases, I've barely paid anything at all between giveaways on Twitch Prime and the Epic Store and the cheap subscriptions like uh, Xbox Game Pass. Do you think this is a bad sign for the industry or just the new normal? Do you think Nintendo should create some sort of Game Pass-like service? Uh, What do you think it would would or should be like, uh, knowing that it would be an internet-based Nintendo service? What kind of horrible caveat do you think Nintendo Game Pass would come with with that all us Nintendo fans would have to begrudgingly accept? Thanks uh, for your always thoughtful analysis and amusing banter, Capsule J. Thanks, Capsule J. Um, I like that he just, he has, you know, you know, you can tell someone's a Nintendo fan when they're resigned to the fact that, how about this, think about this positive thing, how's Nintendo going to fuck it up, basically? (laughs) And and Uh, you're going to accept it even though they've screwed up. Yeah, no, totally. Like, that's that's why we love them, really, is because we know that that's inevitable. Um, Yeah, so it's interesting that he brings this up because I think about it and... You know, since I got a PC, I have always bought stuff on Steam. I've always been like, a Steam sale, get excited for the Steam sale, let's buy it. I remember the first Steam sale, I spent 50 quid and I got like 35 games. I was like, this is a steal. This is crazy. What the hell? It's insane. PC gaming's crazy. Um, And I can't remember the last time I bought a game on Steam at the current moment, which is pretty ridiculous because sales happen all the time. Games are so cheap on there. And yet... You know, we have entered this era where the Epic Store has become a force and it is just giving games away for free. Like, as long as you just pay attention, you just log in every week, click a button, and it's owned on your account. Um, And, you know, I know people have their problems with the Epic Store, but, like, I literally don't understand why people are angry at them when you can just go there and get free games. And and how do they run that as a profitable business? Is this just because Fortnite is bankrolling the entire thing and they're trying to improve market share or is there more going on? Pretty much. Pretty much Fortnite makes more money than God and so Epic have the wherewithal to where 
they want to basically they want to take away as many steam customers as possible right they want to build their own ecosystem because once people start buying games through their store then they get revenue from people buying there but also epic have been very developer friendly in terms of making uh publishing deals recently they, they started i think play dead are on that list of doing a publishing deal with epic um and also the percentage split that you get is more in terms of like far more favoring the developer than on steam on steam i believe it's like 70 percent something that you get versus steam's 30 percent take and then epic have like high 80s it's like 88% to the developer, like Epic takes 12%. So they are very, very much going for the throat when it comes to Steam. Obviously, people are just angry and annoyed because it's the internet. And so people are like, I hate Epic for no rational reason uh, because whatever. And they think that, I don't know, I, I just don't tend to engage with people. like that. There are definitely valid reasons. And obviously, the Epic store will get better and, you know, they'll add all the features that, that Steam has. But I just don't understand it when they are being so positive towards development. Obviously, I don't want to say Epic's necessarily a good company because they have had a lot of stories about terrible crunch and really bad stuff with Fortnite in terms of trying to get all of that content out on a very strict schedule. And, and it's part of the reason Fortnite's so successful is because they have that kind of constant churn of stuff, always fresh, keeping the community engaged, but it's not been good for their workers uh, from, from what people are told. So like, I'm not saying Epic is good, far from it. They're a corporation like all others. They have horrible business practices, etc. But they are giving away free games every fucking week, you know? And I, I would be stupid to not go there and just take them, right? They're there for the picking. Um, additionally, as you mentioned, Twitch Prime, which is another resource that you just get games every month just games as long as you're subscribed obviously you have to you have to think about this in terms of yes a lot of these services you're subscribed to game pass is a thing you're paying for every month but i think the mental gymnastics that goes on in your head is much more the case of okay well owl boy and night in the woods are on sale on steam they're 10 quid hmm should i buy them or is there a chance that in the future this will be on game pass do i really need to play these games right now not really like i will play them eventually they'll probably be on game pass how about i just wait and see and it's created an approach to my habits where i just even if something is like super cheap on steam i'm not necessarily going out of my way to get it first of all because i have a stupidly large backlog in the first place and not that that stops me buying games anyway because i'm an idiot and i'll do that regardless but because like maybe it'll show up on one of these services there might be a humble bundle in a couple of weeks who the hell knows right and so because games are constantly just like falling into my lap through through no even chance of me trying to get them it just doesn't make sense anymore for me to just buy games on steam um and it, it bleeds over right you think of something like streets of rage 4 that came out on switch and like i probably would have preferred to play it on switch like sit on the couch like play it while someone's watching tv but it's just free on pc game pass so either i pay 20 quid or i just play it as a part of my four pound a month subscription what makes the most sense financially obviously the 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 latter so it definitely has affected my buying habits and i think that is interesting especially because you look at pricing on the switch eShop in particular especially in the uk where it's not only higher than all other storefronts but like we get screwed over on the regional pricing as well a lot of the time so it's a whole mess um it really is and i i think it's a very astute observation from capsule j to say like hey look man do people even buy games anymore because i think the industry is starting to move into this direction you look at microsoft especially with game pass and they're basically saying just don't even buy our first party games man just stay subscribed for the rest of your life and that's more valuable to them because they have consistent revenue they can rely on as it goes through um 
Totally. So yeah, um, I do think there's a big divide between PC gaming and console gaming, and I do think that that's why um, services like Game Pass are quite revolutionary in a way where it is moving more gradually to that almost PC like model. Well, it's not even PC like model. It's just the subscription model, and you are paying. You know the I'm paying eight quid a month for my Xbox Game Pass, and that works out as what seventy two pounds a year. Um, no, I've not done the maths wrong. Well, I don't eight know times who, uh, eight, who eight, eight, eight times twelve, eighty eight, ninety, uh, yeah. ninety six pounds a year. That's already roughly the same price as two. That's a Halo Infinite and an Ori and the Will of the Wisps day one already. Like if you bought those two games day one, say they were fifty quid each, that's a hundred quid. Like that's already what I'm going to be spending on, say, Last of Us Part Two and Final Fantasy VII Remake. So like you're already getting value as long as you're pay- playing two to three to four big first party any any other games on Game Pass a year. You're already getting your value, and then likewise, it's just matching up. Um, have I p- played enough games that make up make up eight pounds per month? And always, so far in the time I've owned it and been subscribed, the answer is yes. Uh, and I think that that is quite unique to console gaming, where there aren't. Yes, there's PS Plus. Yes, there's PS Now. But outside of those, there's not really the same access to free games and to like Humble Bundle and to Steam sales. And Mm -hmm. it's where something that honestly I think the Switch eShop is getting a lot better just for having lots of sales on lots of games that are reduced by 70, 80% sometimes that you're paying like just a few quid for some really quality. More so indie titles, although even the Nintendo first party games are going on sale occasionally for smaller amounts generally but sometimes they are also on for big sales um maybe excluding like the big i mean even, even breath of the wild was on sale a while ago right it was reduced which is yeah breath of the wild i think you can get it for like 40 quid which yeah. like for that is pretty ridiculous right. from Nintendo. So yeah the culture of sales buying lots of games buying cheap games has bled over you could even argue from pc gaming into console gaming in some ways totally like even during the ps3 generation there were fire sales like this you go to the psn on playstation 4 these days and literally every week there's some kind of sale under some banner of like it's the spring cleaning sale it's the this sale they just there's always a sale happening yeah. and they brand it however they want to but it's the same on the eShop, right there's games on sale all the time and talking of free games there's often games that are just free on the eShop, um or even like so cheap that they're basically you get the money back sometimes you can get a game for one cent or one pence and then you get the one pence back in gold coins so mm. you've practically spent nothing on the game anyway a, a, a service like game pass is almost like a reaction to those fire sales like it's saying actually we can structure this slightly differently and rather than you just buying this buying that buying that getting a free game here getting a free game there why don't we just make this a subscription service and you get access to all these games and actually when we've done the maths ourselves we'll make more money than um than we're currently making and likewise you'll feel like you're getting a decent deal and 90 percent of the time you more or less are getting a decent deal and that is based on the launch lineup and it is obviously to do with expanding their market and microsoft xbox they are behind in the whole console war race at the end of this generation and they want that market share as large as possible they've been saying incredible stuff going into series x about 
expanding their market share through game pass not having exclusive games to series x for the first two years like that's a big deal to say hey we are standing by game pass we want this market share uh, and we're not changing we're not letting up and that that is exciting because it is so different to what Sony are offering. And sure, they've got PS now. It's almost like them just dipping their toe in. And it came out recently like they've got, what, 2 million users on PS now versus Xbox's 10 million on Game Pass. Like, right. it's clear that they are, Xbox, are thinking about this going into the future. And it feels like we are going to move to these subscription services more. And as a result, there's a chance that, like, you might see individual buying of games and sales drying up a little bit more than it it's kind of like we're in this transitional period where i think you're getting the benefits of both aspects i think one of those aspects is going to dry up and i'd put my money that we're going to be slowly moving a lot more to these game pass style models uh before those before we reap all the benefits of these sales for the next four years Having said yeah. that, I think Nintendo are on an island by themselves. Oh, of course. They always will be. And they'll always march the beat of their own drum and do their own thing. Like, you could argue that potentially with xCloud coming and Game Pass being tied into that, could we see that on Switch in the future? Always speculated about. I don't know whether it makes sense for Nintendo if they would even allow it because fundamentally that would break their own ecosystem, right? It would mean that instead of you buying, um, I don't know, Streets of Rage is the example I used on the Switch eShop, you would just go to the xCloud app and just play it via that instead, right? And I, Um, I question how much the word ecosystem is even, or even the Japanese for ecosystem is even used used in nintendo discussions and development because when you actually look at what they offer they offer individual games and yes they've done some incredible deals with indies and the switch is the king of indies right now and that's great to see but you think how do these games link together how do they transition am i as a nintendo user getting the best deal and you think you can when you compare it to what microsoft is saying they are leagues and leagues and leagues away from creating an ecosystem like stuff like trophies you know um these things like they are leagues from what an ecosystem and a service could look like and i was just saying off mic briefly but like i do think part of this is linked to japanese culture and like japan is still a paper-based society they fact they use fax machines in offices they are cash-based society uh, a lot of nintendo gamers in japan will buy games in using cash to buy download codes in stores and this idea that all of a sudden that society is ready to move to a subscription model like a game pass model is a long like over a decade away like i i just don't see that's just one reason and many reasons that i see nintendo being the last to the party by about a decade to the subscription model well it's interesting because they do have a subscription model to some degree which is their nintendo online service it's the only one that they have and they brought it in when the switch started and you could say hey this is nintendo's version of game pass it's their old games that they're putting on there um and you know people have reacted differently to that it's obviously much much cheaper than either of their competitors because obviously it offers much less it's not offering new games on switch it's offering old games from a back catalog of nes and super nintendo games which they always for whatever reason they always just lean on those and they never expand themselves beyond it and um and maybe you ju- you could argue that if they add N64 games, if they add GameCube games, they would have to just bump up the price or whatever of their online subscription. But you could also argue that people would be more likely to subscribe 
to it if they did that. Um, but then again, a lot of people would subscribe to it just to play Splatoon online. So who knows? Or Smash Brothers online. It's um, it's for me. I would say that if Nintendo were to approach this type of business model, it would have to be focused on say putting things on there but then taking them away and and sony have done this a little bit with ps now where they put god of war on there and then it went away or rockstar did it with game pass where they're like here's uh gta 5 but we're taking it away because we're putting red dead on yeah there, one right? at a time I, right i would imagine for nintendo their their ip is far too valuable for them for them to just say mario odyssey is free if you subscribe to this service because then no one is going to buy mario odyssey and like they they're we talk about how games go down in price and on sale and nintendo's games just don't they don't because they value them and they make sure that they stay at that price and that instantly undermines that fundamental philosophy they have about the cost of their own games if they do that however if they position it to say okay mario odyssey is available to play for the month of july 2023 and for that month, you can play it. Once it goes, it goes. You can buy it from the eShop and you can keep your progress. Your save data is still there, but it's just here for this month. Um, and then it's going to go again. And then for the next month, here's ARMS for, for uh, August of, of that year. And so I could see them doing it where they put one of their big games on offer for the subscription for that period of time. But in order to maintain that value that they so very obviously covet, they take it away again right and, yeah. and they have it on this kind of rotational basis that gives people the understanding that they could play it for a month but like if they want to play through and never play it again whatever then they're gonna to have to get on it and play it for that month they're gonna to have to pay nintendo the subscription fee and hopefully for nintendo they will stay subscribed forget they're subscribed and then give them money for the rest of time essentially if if xbox were the market leaders i don't believe for a second that they would have all of their first party titles freely available through game pass permanently, oh 100 which they currently yeah. are right and if if they had won this generation if they had beaten sony none of the positive stuff they have done would have happened because first of all don matrick wouldn't have left and phil spencer wouldn't have been put in the position that he's in right like yeah. fundamentally you look at it from the perspective of all the fuck-ups they made led to all the positive change i'm not to say that phil spencer wouldn't do that if he wasn't necessarily but you can't really talk about that future i think putting his money where his mouth is if xbox run away with the next generation and they beat sony and they're ahead and then they start to walk back some of these or they put up the price of game pass or whatever that's when i would question phil spencer's integrity with this stuff because from what i've seen he seems very genuine about like keeping this stuff going and making it a building block because fundamentally this seems like foundational stuff for the future of that company um, in terms yeah. of their games business but when you actually step back and you think what is important to have to run a, subs- a successful subscription model like game pass and i think the the two things that are the most important are first party exclusives and a community around those exclusives that are passionate about those games and would be willing to subscribe and you know shout out about it on the internet and i think nintendo is actually really strong in that that aspect they have really strong first party exclusives they have an online community who are incredibly positive about their games and are very vocal about it and when you put those two things together and step back you actually think nintendo are actually pretty well prepared from that aspect if they did want to do something that was like game pass where you did get your two or three access to two or three uh nintendo first party games when they come out and i don't know how much how much of the subscription price could be 
but it does seem like they are just a few important building blocks away from having a really cool ecosystem that would do very well nintendo could do it right they could fundamentally put all their first party stuff day one onto a subscription service however the price of that service would be high like i'm thinking 25 dollars a month right that is the kind yeah. of level i'm talking about where they would put up a st- substantial amount of money you'd be paying a lot a year but if you're a nintendo fan and you plan on getting all of the the games that would still be cheaper for me personally if it was 25 dollars a month Definitely. absolutely because we spend so much on nintendo games when they come out and obviously it depends on the year you can have a year like 2018 where they barely put anything out and you're still paying that amount right but then you have a year like um 2019 where the back half of that year was packed right like bali you didn't buy astral chain but if the subscription was going you would probably have played astral chain oh, because it just definitely. came onto the subscription you're already paying for it you had access to it i'm already playing loads of things i wouldn't otherwise have been playing because of xbox game pass like exactly it just, yeah it, it created that's what one aspect that it just creates this little this idea of trying out games which i think for something for a, an art form that is so based around tastes i think is really important where you don't want to you know pay up 40 quid and then have a a negative experience but if you're dipping into it say i played a bit of uh what was i playing dirt four i was like this probably isn't my cup of tea i'm gonna i played an hour or two and then i dipped out you know and like that is something that's really valuable going into the next generation that i would love to see more of that ability to dip in dip out of games from nintendo and you kind of get that with the the online service they currently have with nes and snes games where it's oh that, that's an interesting game i've never heard of let's try that and if, if they want they one day applied that logic to their big first party titles i think you could see a lot of you know progress totally like and we, you know we talked about wild guns this episode that's a game i wouldn't have bought on the wii virtual console i wouldn't have bought it on the wii u virtual console operation logic bomb i talked about last time i would never have bought that game of my own volition exactly but i've now played them both and i had a great time playing both of them experiences that are new to me that i had never would have given the time of day before because nintendo just put them on there and i've subscribed to this thing so i might as well give them a shot right and you come out the other side uh more well-rounded in what games you've played more knowledgeable all that stuff i think it's positive overall like i really do like the subscription model um and you know i think we're only going to see more of it so whether nintendo does it uh, makes it a more appealing offer in the future or if they expand out what they're doing with their with their digital games their their kind of older games um and and add indies on there right like i think fundamentally nintendo switch is built on the power of independent games so if you had a subscription model that tied in the classic games the indie games and then as we said say like one first party game a month that rotates out right like that for me that is a feasible nintendo based subscription model that could rival potentially other businesses totally so say nintendo announced nintendo game pass is coming out next year we're all really excited uh we're all very shocked as well don't get me wrong and Uh um we're ready to pay up day one, get subscribed. What's a big downside to their service, which is Nintendo to a T, <laughs> that we have to live with and we accept? Um, the downside is is that if you play these games through the subscription, for whatever reason, 
you can't play with your friends online, even though you're subscribed <laughs> to a thing that lets you play online. But it own- the loophole is you only get to play online if you own the game. But if you're doing it through the subscription, uh, 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 you have to buy and download the full version. So Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, you can't Mario go Kart online. Mario Super Smash Brothers, um, Splatoon Smash 2. Brothers, Splatoon 2. They're all The, the version they're that all comes to the... the uh, yeah, they're, they're all like nulled because they don't have the online connectivity. You can't play with people online. <laughs> that That is the most fucking nintendo thing possible in my mind any ideas bally oh god i think that was a really good one um i think that they uh, that that this the service has all these modern switch first party games on it uh and all of these awesome indies on it and then they just lob in NES games and Super Nintendo games mixed in throughout all of these games. And that's cool. I'm pl- positive about that. But then they still don't do N64, GameCube, uh, yeah. Game Boy, you know, you name it. Like all these other systems. Are like, oh, yeah, no, we're not doing that yet. When you think that actually that would probably be a really suitable place to put stuff like that, you know, um, a bit like they're currently doing with NES and SNES. I, th- I feel like they could expand in some ways and then still fail to deliver Game Boy Advance games, GameCube games, yep. N64, yep. and still to, to, to have such an expansive service that still stops you from being able to play uh, loads of great Nintendo historical games yeah no that's i mean that's very likely to be honest with you i'm not i wouldn't be surprised by that um so so yeah i mean well we'll see you know it's i think that you know as you said we're in this transitional period with video games and you look at stuff like the streaming services for tv and movie which many people at the current point in our history are very familiar with i'm sure because a lot of people are home and a lot of people are watching a bunch of that stuff and um do you know if disney like in the future with their movies and stuff like how soon they will come to disney plus like after they've been in cinemas have they talked about that at all bally um i don't know i know they've done like some exceptions due to covid19 and obviously right. stuff like um da, 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 i've forgotten the name of that most recent pixar film that you saw um the one the pixar film the outward uh out homeward or something Home i can't remember what it's called bound word yeah um, it's the yeah. one with the wizards and yeah. the kids wow, and stuff my... ding 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 hello editing nbz here once again to tell you the name of that disney pixar film is onward it's very good i watched it with my sister it's a great time you should watch it uh anyway back to the show ding 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 I cannot remember that name for yeah neither can I. yeah no I, I think they said some exceptions but they've not done Nintendo. Disney are very careful not to like tie themselves into quotes that get them tied in knots in the future. So I think they they've not said anything clear to my knowledge of like where okay where that's going. Um, because I wonder about like you you talk about the comparisons between what video game uh, companies could do versus what uh, streaming subscriptions are doing in terms of you have different points of sale, right? You can have the Blu-ray release and then it comes to the streaming service versus you have the the day one, you buy it on a disc or digital release and then later it comes to Game Pass, right? Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to make the comparison there because totally. obviously, you know, Ubisoft will not want to just put assassin's creed on game pass day one that's not financially beneficial to them because they can sell 10 million of those games yeah. regardless I mean, Ubisoft right? is one of those companies that don't believe they have any games on game pass to my knowledge there's a, there's oh, a handful of companies that just you really notice oh they've got nothing on here um 
but then companies like bethesda like all the bethesda stuff to my knowledge is on there you know witcher 3 that kind of thing so yeah yeah and all the ea games they're trying to do their own ecosystem they're another example i don't believe any ea games are on game pass um, yeah so they've got their own like origin premiere on right. pc and i think on playstation or on xbox actually yeah. origin premiere, and obviously yeah. like epic um so those are three big companies that make big games that a lot of people play that are very distant to everything xbox are doing with that service yeah. so oh even ubisoft i forgot ubisoft announced at e3 last year uh that they had their own subscription you play plus i think it was um so even Ubisoft are getting in on it. Like everyone's trying to get in on it, and this is the this is the trouble, right? It's like with the streaming platforms, everyone's like, "Oh, you have to have Netflix and HBO and Hulu and Disney Plus and Amazon Prime," and all of a sudden you're paying so much money that people just go back to piracy, essentially. Um, so yeah, I, so if people I, that's you know, where I get, would... get it cut off a bit too much, it gets a little risky in that sense. That's where I would have a lot more faith with an organization like Microsoft, where you're providing the ip as well as the platform whereas obviously epic you can have like a a pc based store but i think because console gaming is obviously still so prevalent i think unless you're making your own console i don't see ea's and ubisoft's model competing with microsoft's personally i just think microsoft can just say right well we won't so we won't put your games on our system then screw you kind of thing like i don't think we're at loggerheads yet but if we continue to go behind subscription services and microsoft say hey well we make so little money from hard copies of assassin's creed being sold on xbox now that we're just gonna uh shut you out and obviously that wouldn't look good for them because they don't want it going over to sony but I, i i could see that happening in maybe five years time i could say i could see but not not right now yeah makes sense but yeah capsule j good good question that definitely enjoy kind of talking about streaming services and what's going to happen in the future especially around nintendo mm-hmm. um and some of their 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 differences let's just say uh but yeah. <laughs> foibles <laughs> thanks very much for your, your questions people uh if you would like to send a question into this here show please send them to this nintendo life at gmail.com that is this nintendo life at gmail.com we would really appreciate your questions uh and as i said at the top of the segment you can post on our discord server uh in the comments thread uh in the email thread i should say uh we'd really appreciate your questions there as well but that's going to do it for the show mbz we've got a special announcement do you want to let everyone know what what we have planned absolutely uh backlog club is back in action uh we're going to be doing a new one it's going to be a 3ds edition uh, which means we're bringing a few 3DS games to the fore, to which people can vote on uh, on our Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash thisnintendolife, any of your uh, our patrons can vote uh, on what they would like to be the next Backlog Club game. Bally, drumroll please, what are the uh, the games we've chosen for this Backlog Club? We have picked Kirby Triple Deluxe, Metroid Prime Federation Force, because that is the full name, remember, and... Um, uh, Nintendogs and cats. Plus cats. And cats? Plus, Plus cats. cats, yeah. So kind of um, bringing back some games that have been in polls before and uh, and doing a 3DS-focused one because, you know, the 3DS is dead, but we have to honour its legacy still. And uh, there's there are so many 3DS games. Man, there was that Atlas sale that happened where I bought Radiant Historia and I bought, like, Etrian Odyssey and a bunch of shit for, like, super cheap. Um, so now is the time to get on those cheap 3DS games and... Uh, 
And yeah, we'll put the poll up. Uh, you can go over to our Patreon, and if you're a patron of any level, you can vote on that poll and decide what the next Backlog Club game will be. Uh, and then we will talk about it in, um, I don't know, however long time it will take us to play it or whatever. We'll we'll figure that out. We'll let you all know. And uh, hopefully everyone can play alongside with us. When are we starting the poll? So we will uh, give you just two weeks to vote uh, on this one. So you can, uh, by the next show, we'll announce what it's going to be. And then we can get on it ASAP and, uh, and then figure out when we're going to talk about it for uh, for the future uh when we will be discussing and of course you can join along with us we have a uh, thread in our discord where you can post along uh, as you're playing on the backlog club and uh let us know your thoughts send us your emails uh, when we get to that point in time but uh first things first we need to figure out what game we are actually playing so uh we'll do that and uh and that'll be good uh obviously talking of our patreon uh we have some people to thank from patreon bally uh, who are they Yes, thank you to our ten dollar tier patrons. They are Atari, Alex, Thomas, Jackpot, and my fiance Caroline. Thank you for your support. But thank you to all of our other patrons. We hugely appreciate your support. Absolutely, and uh, we get some some new ones recently, which is very nice, and uh, we we very much appreciate that. Um, just giving the show some support. Uh, you can support us in other ways by following our presences all over the internet. Um, we are on Twitter, of course. I am at Lord NBZ, and I uh, I don't know. I'm tweeting about some nice meteor showers in Xenoblade because it's calming and nice uh, in this period of time. Bally, how about you? I'm on Twitter at Ballyman91, that's B-A-L-L-Y-M-A-N-9-1, and yeah, I've been a bit quiet recently, so maybe get back on that. Absolutely. Uh, you can follow uh, at TNL Podcast for the Twitter account of us, where you can see things that we're talking about, reminders about Backlog Club voting, uh, reminders to email us, all those types of things, so get on there, check it out. And uh, and yeah, you can find us all over the internet. We're on various shows. We are on uh, not shows. We're on various uh, services. We're on uh, Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We are on uh, Spotify. We're all over the shop. Go check us out. Go find us. Go subscribe. Go leave us a review on iTunes. That is very important. That's very helpful. If you can do that, that would increase our visibility and uh, it'll help the show up a huge amount. But I think that's going to close us out, Bally. Um, thanks for. Uh, for being here for talking nintendo for talking video games it's been good and um and yeah i I don't know stay safe out there people um do what you can um and uh yeah we'll see you in a couple of weeks time and until then thanks very much bye bye interlude used on today's show was Bionis Shoulder from Xenoblade Chronicles Future Connected. Copyright Monolith Soft and Nintendo 2020.